Well, one of the most incredible things, I think, that stands out to me about the person of Jesus is the way that he always cared about other people. Uh, you read through the story of John so far and you see that he consistently looked out for other people. Uh, he gave up his time. You can't miss it. Uh, he healed people. He rejoiced with them. He spoke to them. He comforted them. He even wept with them. Remember a couple of weeks ago, uh, we looked at the story of those two sisters, Mary and Martha, uh, after their brother had died. Martha, who was so angry at death, Jesus took time to console her. Uh, Mary, who was just overcome in sadness and grief, Jesus took time to weep with her. That's the one thing you can't avoid as you get to know Jesus in the Gospels. You can't avoid the fact that he really did care about people. He really loved people. He loved people more than he loved himself. I kind of think that's the kind of guy I would like to be. I'd like to be known for that sort of thing, to be someone who loved others more than I love myself, someone who knows how to love people properly. And Jesus, you see, he practised what he preached. Just have a look today in our passage in John 14. Here we find Jesus, where we're up to in his story, we find him just hours before he's about to be crucified to death. Uh, He clearly knows this fact. He knows that this is the next thing on his agenda. Uh, Have a look there in verse 19. He says, A little while longer and the world will see me no more. Jesus knows that he's just about to die. And what do we see him doing? Well, he's looking out for his disciples, isn't he? He's caring for them. He's not all kind of wrapped up in himself. He's not running about like a headless chook, just stressing out about the situation. No, with kind of an incredible calmness and peace about himself. Jesus is showing concern for his disciples. Even when death is the next thing marked in his, in his diary, imagine like if you opened up your diary and, and you see what's coming up next? Crucifixion, death. Even when that's the next thing in his diary, when he really should be concerned about himself, he's concerned about others. I mean, just think for a moment, here is Jesus just about to go to his death and the most, you know, that kind of most horrific means of death that people have ever come up with and his primary concern is to sit down with his disciples, with his friends and tell them that they're going to get looked after. Uh, He tells them that he's going to pray for them. He tells them that his father will send someone who will comfort them. He prays for their comfort, not his own. It's incredible, isn't it? He prays that the Father will send someone who will give them peace and joy and faith, someone who will comfort them because Jesus, who has been their comfort, will no longer be there anymore. If anyone needs comfort and peace at this stage in their life, it's Jesus though, isn't it? I mean, just think about what you might be doing in that moment. Uh, if you knew that, that that was the next thing in your diary, that you were going to be killed, uh, what would you be doing? Uh, would you be trying to seek some joy? Maybe you might you know, have one of those bucket lists which people talk about, trying to tick a few things off before you depart from this world. What would you do? Well, I'll tell you what I'd be doing. I'd be trying to find my own peace, my own faith. Uh, there's no way I'd be looking out for the comfort of others. But Jesus, well, he's different, isn't he? 
Uh, Jesus, you see, he's got this peace about him. He's got the kind of peace that flows from faith. He's got a peace that's actually all flowing from the fact that he trusts that God, his Father, is good to him. Uh, He's got the kind of peace that allows him to look at his impending death and even rejoice. Rejoice that he will return to his Father. And it's that peace, it's that kind of faith, it's that joy that Jesus wants to give his disciples today. Uh, There's three things that we see in our passage in front of us in John 14. Three things that we see this morning, and that is that Jesus wants to give his disciples by promising them the Holy Spirit. He wants to give them these gifts of peace and joy and faith. Uh, These verses that we're looking at this morning, John 14, 15 to 31, they bring us to the conclusion and the climax of a long speech that began back in the start of chapter 13. You might remember back then, a couple of weeks ago, uh, Jesus sat down with his disciples in that upper room uh, and we heard him talk about how he would be betrayed. Uh, He told his disciples that he would be betrayed by Judas and that he would go back to his father, uh, that he would go and he would prepare a place for them, uh, that he would prepare a home for all those who put their faith in him. And this whole speech, you see, it's actually been about Jesus preparing his disciples to live well in the world while he's gone, when he's not there anymore. And what we see this morning as we come to the end of this speech is that the way he's going to do that, the way he's going to prepare his disciples to live well in the world is by sending them the Holy Spirit, by sending them this comforter who will give them peace and joy and faith. Just skip towards the end of the passage and have a look there. Have a look at verse 27 where this speech starts to hit its climax. Uh, Verse 27 of chapter 14, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let it be afraid. When Jesus is gone, you see, he wants his disciples to have peace. Secondly, look at verse uh, 28, the second half of verse 28 there. He also wants them to have joy. If you loved me, you would rejoice because I said I'm going to the Father. Somehow, by Jesus going, by Jesus dying, uh, his disciples are to find joy. And thirdly, look at verse 29. Jesus wants them to have faith. He says there, And now I have told you these things before it comes, so that when it does come to pass, you may believe. I'm telling you these things, Jesus says, so that you may believe, so that you may have faith. Can you see what Jesus is aiming for here before he goes to his death? He wants his disciples to have peace in their hearts. He wants them to be deeply joyful. And thirdly, he wants them to trust him, to put their faith in him. And somehow he's going to bring all that about by going, by dying to be with his father. He's going to comfort their hearts. Now, I don't know what you think about that. Uh, You might think that that's all just a little bit subjective, a little bit individualistic. Maybe that actually won't really achieve that much in the world. Uh, If Jesus really is who Christians claim he is, if he's the kind of risen Lord of the universe, then why would he just do this? Why wouldn't he actually do something more tangible? 
Uh, why wouldn't Jesus actually do something a bit more impressive? Why just kind of want to change people's hearts? Surely he could have aimed for something greater, couldn't he? Why didn't he choose something more important, you might ask? Why didn't he send the Holy Spirit to kind of help with the problem of world poverty? Why didn't he do that? Uh, why didn't he decide to end political corruption or violence or, or bullying in schools or, or racism or war? Why didn't he do any of those things? Why wasn't that his primary concern? Uh, why did he just promise peace in our hearts instead of something like world peace? Well, ask yourself the question, where do all these problems in our world come from? They come from defective hearts, don't they? Uh, the problem of poverty comes not because there's not enough food in our world, it's because we don't know how to share. It's because we're greedy. Uh, the problem of violence and corruption and bullying come because there's actually no real peace in our hearts. There's no real joy that actually compels us to love other people. Because there's hostility in our hearts, we act out in destructive ways instead of loving ways. But where there is peace and joy and faith, where there are good hearts, where there are hearts that actually desire to love because they've been shown love, then that sets for a whole new way of living and loving, doesn't it? If only we all had hearts that desired to love like Jesus loved our world would be markably different, wouldn't it? If only our hearts were at peace, then we'd be transformed to live and love like Jesus loves. If only our cold, sinful, stony hearts could be transformed like Ezekiel prophesied. Well, that's what Jesus said that he's going to do. That's what he intends to do by sending the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will give us the kind of hearts that know how to truly love, that actually desire to love. So have a look at how our passage starts today. Have a look there at verses 15 to 17. Jesus says, If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray to the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you. And will be in you. Jesus says there, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Jesus wants his disciples, you see, to love like he loves. Remember how Jesus summed up the commandments? He summed them up by saying, love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and love your neighbour as yourself. Jesus wants us as his disciples to be people who love. And to make that happen, he sends someone to help us, someone who will be with us, and he's called, verse 17, he's called the Spirit of Truth. This person who will come, this helper, the Spirit of Truth, will be someone who will reveal the truth to us. He will reveal the truth, and knowing that truth will actually enable us to love. It will inspire us to love. Jesus doesn't leave his disciples alone. He doesn't uh, try to let them fix their hearts by themselves. He's not like a parent who leaves his kids at an orphanage and just kind of lets them fend for themselves. No, look there at verse 18. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. 
but I will come to you. How is it that Jesus will do that? How will he come to them? That's the question that Judas asked down in verse 22. Judas says, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us? How will you come? Jesus answers him in verse 23. Keep reading there, verse 23. He says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my word. How is it that Jesus will come to them? How is it that his love will be shown and our love will be shown to him? It's all bound up with his word, with keeping his word. Jesus will come in the power of his word. He will dwell with them. He will comfort them. He will teach them by his spirit-empowered word. That's what we see next, isn't it? Have a look there in verses 25 and 26. He tells us that he'll come in the power of his spirit who will actually bring his word. Have a look there at verse 25 and 26. These things I've spoken to you while being present with you, but the Holy Spirit, the helper whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. How will Jesus come and show his disciples the true way to love? How will he transform their hearts? Well, the answer is that he's going to send the Holy Spirit who will teach them and help them remember his words. As we get to John chapter 16, uh, we actually hear a bit more about the Holy Spirit. You have to wait for a couple more weeks to find out more over there. But what we see Jesus emphasising here in chapter 14 is that when the Holy Spirit comes, the work that he'll do will be helping them remember and understand the word of God, help them understand and remember the words that Jesus has spoken to them. And that's when you think about it, how we got this gospel, isn't it? That's how John actually came to be written. That's kind of how the whole New Testament came to be written. Jesus sent the Holy Spirit who helped the apostles Remember what they would heard Jesus say to them. He taught them how to write it down. The Holy Spirit, it says in two Peter, uh, in one, two Peter chapter one, verse 21, says that the Holy Spirit carried these men along as they wrote down the word of God. That's what Jesus is promising here. He's promising that he'll spend, he'll send his spirit to help people like John remember and understand all that Jesus said. You can kind of imagine John years later, can't you, sitting down, remembering this promise as he wrote down the gospel, remembering that Jesus had sent the Spirit who would teach him and help him understand all that Jesus said and did. The Spirit would come and help him write down the word of God. That's what is happening in these verses that we look at today. That's how these verses actually got here. The Spirit of God helped People like John remember the word of God that Jesus spoke as they wrote them down. So what we see here is that the spirit and the word are very closely aligned. And that shouldn't surprise us, should it? In Ephesians chapter 6, we hear that the, the word of God is the sword of the spirit. The word of God is the, is the weapon that the spirit yields and, and wields to do his work. 
Uh, what we see here is that the Spirit of God takes the Word of God and he uses that to change our hearts. The Spirit of God takes the Word of God in order to change our hearts. That's how the Spirit comforts us. He comforts us through the Word of God by telling us the truth about Jesus, by teaching us the truth about Jesus and what his death for us really means. And in verses 27 to 31, what we see with the help of the Spirit is that Jesus' death has happened for the sake of our peace and our joy and our faith. This is where the speech hits the climax. Uh, Jesus is just about to die. Uh, That's the context we've established. And what the Spirit helps John and us see is that Jesus' death is the very thing that brings us peace and joy and faith. It's precisely because Jesus is going to be with his Father that these gifts come. These gifts of peace and joy and faith that work on us and in us and change our hearts. The first gift is peace. Have a look there in verse 27. Jesus says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. In these last hours of Jesus' life, his concern is that your heart will not be anxious or fearful, but that it will be at peace. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. How will Jesus give us this kind of peace? How will he free us from anxiety? Well, do you notice there in those words that he's not going to do it in the same way that the world does it? Not as the world gives do I give, Jesus says. How does the world give peace? Well, the world gives peace of mind, doesn't it? There's a whole industry. Uh, It's called insurance. You can get home insurance house and contents insurance, income insurance, whatever it is, you can get insurance for it. And that does give you some peace of mind, doesn't it? Even if your house burns down, you don't have to worry that much because they'll build you a new one. Even if you lose your job, you don't have to worry that much because you'll still have some income coming in. You won't have to worry because even though you've had some bad circumstances, then they can make them good again. That's the world's peace. It's that kind of peace of mind. But Jesus' peace is different. Jesus doesn't promise the peace of good circumstances. No, his peace is actually a peace in spite of bad circumstances. The peace Jesus gives us is what he calls in verse 27, my peace. It's his peace. It's it's the peace that he has that he will give us. Have a look there in verse 27. He says, my peace I give to you. By going to the Father, Jesus says that he will give us the peace that exists between him and the Father. It's a relational peace. What he's promising is that through his death, by his going to the Father, he'll actually share the same peace that he has with the Father with us. He'll share his eternal peace with us. That's the peace he gives us. In the face of his own death, Jesus says that he will go to the cross and open the way 
to, for us to have peace with the Father so that we can have the same kind of peace that he has. Through his death, he will bring us into a peaceful relationship with God the Father. By his dying on that cross, he will pay for our sins. He will bear the punishment. He will take away our sins like we saw on the egg earlier. All our sins are taken away so that we are washed clean. We're forgiven. He will bring us into the same peace that he enjoys with his Father. Therefore, Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Even if your whole world falls upside down, even if you face suffering and death, you need not be afraid, Jesus says, because you have peace with God. And when you have that kind of peace, a peace from knowing that all is well between you and God, when you have that kind of peace, that you know that no matter what happens in your life, that God is on your side, then that's the kind of peace that allows you to rejoice, doesn't it? It allows you to rejoice even in the midst of trials and suffering. So Jesus continues in verse 28. He says, You have heard me say to you that I'm going away and I'm coming back, and if you loved me, you would rejoice because I said that I'm going to the Father. Here's the logic of what Jesus is saying here. He's saying that he's leaving them. He's saying that he's going to go on that cross and he's going to open the way for them to have peace with God. Three days later, he will rise from the dead, he will ascend to heaven, and from there he will send his Holy Spirit. And this, all this that Jesus is going to do, is supposed to bring great joy to his disciples. How does that happen? How do we find our joy in that? Well, isn't it a joyful thing to know that the one who loves us, the one who died for us, who went to the cross for us, is the one who is now the exalted king of the universe and who is ruling over all things? Isn't that a joyful thing to know that? That we know personally the one who is in control. That, that he is now risen and is actually working all things for our good. That even in the worst of circumstances, we can know that the one who is in control is the one who is actually looking out for us. He's the one that loves us. Do you have that sense of joy in your life? I'm not talking about happiness or excited feelings. I'm talking about a sense of deep joy, a joy that stems from knowing that whatever happens in your life, you know that God is on your side. It takes faith to have that kind of joy, doesn't it? To have that kind of joy, you actually need to believe something incredible. You need to believe that the same Jesus who died on that cross and loved us there is the same one who's in heaven orchestrating all things. He's in control. That's what we have to believe. We have to believe that Jesus is sovereign over all things. And to do that, you need faith. And that's why Jesus closes his speech with these last three verses in verses 29 to 31. Have a look there at those verses because these last verses actually inspire us to have faith in him. 
Verse 29, he says, I have told you these things before it comes, so that when it does come to pass, when I do die, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Arise, let us go from here. Can you see there how Jesus is in control? He's telling his disciples what's going to happen. He's he's saying that he's going to die on that cross, not because Satan has any hold over him. No, Satan has nothing in him. Satan has no power over him. No, Jesus will die on that cross because he's lovingly obeying his Father. He's obeying the will of his Father who sent him for us. The point of of these words, you see, is to show us who really is in control of all things. Jesus shows us that he's the one in control. As you keep reading through the gospel, you might be fooled into thinking that Satan's in control or the soldiers are in control or the Romans are in control. But Jesus tells us these things before it happens so that we would know that he is the one in control over all those events. Remember back to John 10 where he said, Nobody takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. Why did he do that? Because he received that charge from his father. Jesus is showing us here that he is the one in control of all things. He's the one in control of history's darkest hour. That hour where the Son of God himself died on the cross. He's in control of that hour. And if he's in control of that hour, in that blackest moment of history, then it means he's in control of our blackest moments, doesn't it? In that blackest moment of history, he worked to bring incredible joy and good for us. He worked in it and through it. He was in control of it. He brought eternal peace and joy. Jesus is the one that's in control. It takes incredible faith to believe that. Even though we will go through difficult times of pain and grief, Jesus tells us these things before it happens so that we will trust him. He wants us to have faith that he really does love us, that he really is deeply concerned for us and his cross is the demonstration of that love. And if you can see that, if you can see that as truth, then that's because the Spirit of God has revealed it to you. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 uh, tells us that the only way that anyone can look at Jesus on the cross being crucified and see him as the Lord of glory, as the one that you would put your hope in, the only way that you can believe that is if the Spirit reveals that to be truth to you. That's why Jesus sent the Spirit, so that we could know the comfort of knowing the truth about the cross. The truth that on that cross, Jesus was making a way for us to have eternal peace with God, to have eternal joy that begins now and lasts for eternity when we put our faith in him. So will you do that? Will you trust him? Will you find your faith in his goodness 
Will you trust him even in the darkest times? Will you let his spirit-empowered word comfort you like only it can? How about we pray? Our Heavenly Father, we ask that you would so change our hearts as your Spirit takes the words that you have given us in the Scriptures and comforts us, comforts us in suffering, directs us into ways of how we to love properly and most of all helps us long for the joy of that eternal peace and comfort with you. Father, we're sorry for the times when we have sinned against you. We're sorry for the times when we haven't loved others like you have asked us to in your word. But we thank you so much that you sent Jesus to die on that cross so that we can have peace with you, joy with you, when we put our faith in you. And we thank you that your spirit reveals these truths to us. Let's pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.